All right, everybody, listen up. We're giving you the shorthand, the cliff notes to a better life. We no longer shows leave us with less time to relax. So this show is meant to give you the information in a timely manner so you can get started on that better life right now. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. It just might change. Or, or save. That's true, or save a life. Okay, let's get into this. Listen up. Dennis Downey is a retired Army officer who spent 26 of 29 years on active duty in Special Forces. He served a variety of assignments with the 10th and 1st Special Forces groups and had extensive deployments to both Iraq and the Philippines. Since retirement in 2010, he has led the 1st in Asia Association, which is dedicated to honoring the fallen from the 1st Special Forces group. Since 2013, after the death of several friends in the 10th Special Forces group, he has been heavily involved with assisting Special Forces soldiers, their family members, and other Special Operations Forces personnel afflicted with cancers. He has written to the VA in support of numerous SF soldiers who are battling for recognition of their cancer as service-connected. He has written both the commanders of U.S. SOCOM and USASOC to provide information on cancer trends and to help raise awareness of cancers within the force and the veteran and retiree SF populations. SF and SOF members and their family members fighting cancer or serving as caregivers to someone with cancer can join the SOF Cancer Fighters Facebook page for support and information. This one really is informative and super critical, not only for those suffering or taking care of someone suffering with cancer, but to those that might just be curious and want some more information. This is an important one. Make sure to share it out. Yeah, let's dive right in. We've got Dennis Downey on today, and I want to welcome you for being on the show today as well. And I, this is one of those things that a lot of people talk about, right? And a lot of people don't want to talk about. They... Uh, I used to use the, the adage, you know, like people don't care about cancer unless you have or know somebody with cancer or people don't care about certain things unless you know or have somebody or have that certain thing. And this is one of those things we want to talk about is cancer. Um, we heard recently that you had a, a great outing and you were told a, a wonderful story that left somebody that we know nauseous um, and sick to her stomach about all the statistics that that you had put out. And I think that a lot of our, our listeners need to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. So... Jumping in, can you tell us just a little bit about that conversation you had at first group and, and what, what is it that you shared that was so shocking to some folks in that room? Well, you've got, uh, this is a conversation that began in about 2012, 2013. Uh, we lost a very good friend from the 10th Forces Group, uh, Frank Sosha. Time he was the group command sire major, so senior enlisted uh, for the 10th Special Forces Group. We've known Frank since the, he was an E5, uh, young SF, you know, hard charged an NCO. Uh, he died at, you know, he died at a very young age in his 40s uh, from a brain cancer. Uh, in a nine month period in 10th group, we lost several other NCOs, uh, Sergeant Major Kevin Cleveland uh, and a couple other Sergeant First Classes. Uh, that sort of got a bunch of the 10th group guys that I know uh, very interested in, ca- in tracking all of the varied guys that we knew from 1st Battalion 10th and Stuttgart who had had cancers and their wives. Uh, so the initial listing that we put together was about 35 names. Uh, and that that listing wasn't too large until I said, well, I've, after I left 10th, I've got 1st group time. Uh, and I've got a big number of first group folks that I'm well aware of, uh, many of them warrant officers and senior NCOs, uh, also diagnosed with cancer. Uh, so we started putting our heads together about, you know, how, well, how do we, what do we do? How do we help? And uh, before long, the numbers began to grow. Uh, I started touching base with a lot of my instructors from Mott Lake, range 37 time, and Berlin guys. And uh, very quickly, we put together a listing that was almost 250 names long. Uh, And that was rather shocking. Uh, And we began to sort of raise that up around here at first group because a good number of them were guys that we knew. They were not old, old guys. These were generational guys. But many of them were 20s, 30s, and 40s that had been diagnosed with weird cancers. Uh, As I mentioned to Lauren, as I talked to her, the, the numbers were big enough that we brought it into the first group uh, leadership. Uh, by that time, ISIS was the hot ticket. 
ISIS had led a lot of guys back into theater. First group's command group was gone into Syria at the time. So we briefed the acting uh, acting leadership, group surgeon at all. And about the time we we're getting ready to go in with one of the former group commanders, Rick Thomas and I to talk to him, uh, we had just been notified that we'd lost a team leader and a team sergeant uh, 10 days apart. They had died of two separate cancers. Uh, this team leader and team sergeant came from an ODA that went into Cambodia uh, to do a humanitarian demining operation in 1998. Uh, so they're on the ground about six months. A team of nine came out. Four of the men on that nine-man team have died in cancer in a two-year period. Uh, that starts to really sort of jump out at you. But an active duty colonel who was the team leader and his team sergeant, who's a retired sergeant major, died 10 days apart. You know, those those are... Those are oddities that just don't make sense. Uh, later, we learn of two, uh, two NCOs from the same ODA that did time in Cambodia, the team sergeant and senior weapons, uh, who were diagnosed with a similar cancer, salivary gland cancer. And they were both operated on it uh, six years after being in Cambodia. Uh, so, you know, a 50-year-old and a 37-year-old being operated upon for salivary gland cancer the same month, uh, basically, for cancer that normal age is 73 years of age, 73. Yeah, I know. Wow. Uh, Jen, it, ju it just becomes one of these, it's another oddity. Uh, so we put a letter out. It went to SF Association. They pushed a letter out to all the chapters, uh, said, hey, if you've had cancers, send us that data. We're going to send it over. Gary Konitzer was great about helping us do that. So as we grew this listing, we began to write the U.S. SOCOM and USASOC to say, hey, this is what we're finding. And what we're finding is, is rather troubling from many standpoints. Uh, if you're a senior NCO or warrant officer or an officer that has done multiple tours in the wars, and I'm saying as far back as Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and through Bosnia, Kosovo, and then into the current wars we are fighting, chances are you're seeing a higher incidence of cancer. And we pushed that in. At the time, it was uh, General Votel. And Votel was hearing the same sort of story from Naval Spec War Command. They had received a letter about an, what they thought was an appalling uh, number of glioblastoma cases that was affecting operators uh, out of basically their SEAL teams that had heavy deployments. So they were looking at that. And AFSOC was pushing in a request for the Air Force Medical Command to do a look because they'd had seven flight crew members out of their C-130 fleet uh, come down with and be diagnosed with glioblastoma, three of which had already passed away. Glio goes, takes your people real quick. So all those sort of things coming to a head, General Votel said, let's get on this. Let's, he directed his medical staff to start taking a look at, you know, what's going on within the various components and especially within uh, the soft guys that we saw and that we had identified that were heavy deployers that had been exposed to many iterations of prep training in theater training and then post-op. And where does it all go? Well, Botel directed his folks and they created the, sort of the framework for a a program to one, uh, take care of our guys uh, to a better degree once they were diagnosed with cancer. So they identified 10 hospitals in the United States that were throughout the country. They would be the best uh, hospitals. We would send our guys there. So our guys would be assured of world-class treatment. And that was a change. A lot of times uh, our folks are being seen at military medical facilities, unfortunately, uh, we're, we're, we're hearing from the best and brightest that it's Neanderthal medicine and oncology a lot of times. And I don't mean that the, the mean medical professionals that we've got that are standing up, putting the uniform on and coming and work for the military. But I'm saying that their techniques may not be as advanced and maybe the investment of MedComs and AFCOM isn't as strong. You know, they don't have uh, Da Vinci robotics. You know, they don't have those uh, extra pools. And certainly it doesn't seem like they're prone to spending the extra dollar. 
uh, they'll do the radiation stuff. They'll do uh, the chemotherapy. Uh, they're good at that. But as far as the surgery piece, they don't have thousands of surgeries under their belts. So that was the, the genesis of it. Uh, and it, so if you think in 2014, you know, where have we gone since then? Uh, I still track a listing. It contains the names of 1,158 souls uh, who have been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, they're not all special forces, but predominantly special forces, rangers. There's some guys out of CAG. There are some civil affairs. There's some rangers, uh, CA, a couple of 160th folks that we've, we've tracked. And unfortunately, uh, 700 of those have passed away. So, you know, when I said that to Lauren, you know, that was the 24 molar suck of the moment uh, because unfortunately we're seeing lots and lots of folks that are diagnosed very, very late in the game. Uh, they're told uh, because they don't see the warning signs or they don't understand the warning signs that they're stage three, they're stage four, and it's, it's not a good fight. So I think that, uh, that took Lauren – you know, took her down a pathway. I also did mention to her that presently we're working on a circle of folks from with Okinawa connections, uh, about 70 NCOs and warrant officers and a few officers and about 17 to 21 gals uh, who are wives. And uh, that, that took her by surprise because the numbers wow. of gals that we've got, we see, and we always we've always wondered what the correlation was when we were in Berlin, uh, our surgeon came over from Fort Bragg and he very quickly instituted a lead testing policy within the unit. Uh, and our breachers immediately got shut down uh, because their lead levels in many cases were well into the one fifties. Oh, yeah. So yeah. And, and Tom, you, you know, at that era we were using, uh, certain charges that were lead chief and those charges basically exhausted out a yellow cloud when when you could see it during the time and yeah yeah and i'm i i, I was uh had my blood drawn from the cleveland clinic less than a year ago and they're they're like oh your lead level your mercury levels and some other levels I, i've been working on that since and i've been retired 12, 13 30, years. <laughs> yeah, I have to remind him years. often. <laughs> and I wasn't doing that at the end of my career either. That was early on when I was the breacher running through all that stuff, you know. So it's it yep. sticks around for a bit. And so detoxifying, it was key um, to find out that I had a lot of stuff sitting in my body waiting to, to do something. Yep. And Jeff Dardia, you know, and his connective yeah. tissue with the Cleveland Clinic and all the testing there, uh, your half-life on lead in your blood is, is a month. So, you know, you go out to the ranges, it sits in your bloodstream. Guess what? What your body can't sort of get out of you goes into your bones and your teeth. And you start saying to yourself, okay, uh, now it's sitting inside of me. Now, when it gets in, it's sort of touching your marrow. So it's involved with your blood flow. It has a connection to depression. It has a connection to anxiety. All the PTSD symptoms can be amplified by excessive amounts of lead in your body and let's let's face it we've got guys that you know they're already hanging on by their fingertips in some regard you add in something like lead over a 20 or 30 year career that lead builds up uh and we've got one or two gals that worked uh at the compound uh who were in the dentist office and they were identified with odd cancers early on their their husbands were in the unit but their wives worked in the dental facility. Weird cancers, dental facility. What's one of the times that lead comes out of your body? It's when you get your teeth drilled, when you get a crown, uh, when you break a bone, that's when lead's released back into your body. And those are things that we're learning over time that, you know, you wives, when we used to come home and we throw a flight suit into the, into the washer machine or just the uniform we had on a deployment, we're covered with lead dust. We're carrying that back to you. And unfortunately, we're carrying it back to our kids in some regards because it's in our hair. It's on our skin. We take a shower at the house. That stuff goes in the laundry. That lead goes into the washing machine. And guess what? Kids absorb it three times as fast as we adults. 
So I learned that last. Oh my gosh. I learned that last week at the dentist because six months ago Whoa. the Cleveland Clinic's like, you know, you're you got to check your your um your your fillings because your fillings might be pumping it into your body as well. So you'll need to have all those removed and the new ones put in. And I was like, wait a minute, what? I had to drill all those teeth out again because some were put in Bosnia in one of those field tents during the war. You know, I'm like, oh, great. God knows what's in my mouth. <laughs> so I go to the dentist and I tell her and she starts looking at him. She goes, yeah, they could come out, but I'd have to put on a hazmat suit. And once I release that into the air and I go, how come nobody told me that when you put it into my mouth? Now you're telling me you can't take it out without creating a hazard to me and you even. And it was ridiculous um, finding that out. But and even on the days of the ranges. You picking up brass. Where do you put that brass? Right in my hat. Right in my hat. Filling it on up, dump it in my cargo pocket, put it right back on my head. And then one day they're like, that's a bad idea. I'm like, I've been doing that for 10 years, so now it's a bad idea. So I appreciate the timing. But did they, did they ever tell you not to bring your clothes home and wash your hair and your uniform at home? Maybe. I don't remember. They had laundry that's... machines at work, but I brought my clothes home and washed my clothes like everybody on the planet. You Is know? that what you're recommending then? It's like, Oh, absolutely. Don't go home. Absolutely. With... Jen, that's... Uh, that's bedrock, and you know we're doing better. Okay, so to, about 2014, DoD actually asked for OSHA to look at the standards to figure out how to best do it. The world's been saying lead's bad for you. Well, a bullet, a bullet put together is arsenic, lead, mercury, you know, cadmium, uh, an abundant number of things that are terrible for you. Well, they went from the the allowable level for lead in your system is 120. Now it's 40. So back then, I can remember our breachers, and our breachers got shut down, and I heard some horrible numbers like 180, 190, 200. You know, and Berlin was an old place. Our facilities were old. Our shooting houses were old. And that sand had never been pulled out. Okay. So, yeah, recommendation. You know, wash yourself, you know, basically take a shower before you come home. Uh, we put washer and dryer sort of hookups to keep that stuff from bringing, bringing it to the house. Uh, absolutely good, uh, good, smart suggestion. Will we always, you know, it's a guy that, that's on down the range and gets off the range at, you know, one in the morning. Always remember, probably not. But if you do once in a while, you know, that would help, you know, household six so she didn't kick your butt. <laughs> <laughs> I never even thought of that, how that comes into the home in that way and is affecting the entire family. So are you seeing cancer in spouses and children that's related to the service members? Well, you know, in some cases, I think I think it is connected. And it may be in some cases from geographically where they live. Mm. Uh, I'll throw you an instance out. Okinawa. Uh, Okinawa is where they retrograded Asian orange drums to after Vietnam. So for many years, Agent Orange drums of defoliant sat on air base, you know, on Marine camps. And some of that stuff then was retrograded to Johnston Atoll, where it was burned up. They put an incinerator there, get rid of all that stuff. But it all sat there for a long time in Okinawa. So Okinawa has got problems. You know, about 2018, they are digging up a soccer field in Japan. It was land that we gave back to the Japanese on Okinawa, and they dug up 22 drums of defoliant. And this was a big news story in Okinawa, but it's about 70 feet from the edge of two elementary schools on Okinawa bases. So if you think about that, if you think about radon gas, radon gas, unfortunately, Okinawa is uh, volcanic. So the limestone bedrock there, you know, unfortunately, when it's rainy season, it lifts up what creates radon gas. So housing units have had that issue. Thyroid cancer is three times more likely for a woman to have, but it's very unlikely to have it when you're 30s and 40s. Uh, and it's one of those things that you find over time. It, it, it's personal to me. Uh, I went to a small college. I graduated 200, 220 sort of folks. I've got two female classmates that were Okinawa based. One was a husband, a wife of uh, an SF soldier. One was a Marine, uh, a Air Force officer. Both died of strange cancers in the last uh, eight years, you know, in their late fifties. Uh, mm -hmm. So, and I know a lot of these gals, you know, these are, these are women I, I know when I, you know, I give them a big hug when you see them and uh, that becomes the hard part for you. 
So yeah. that uh, is one for Okinawa, I guess. Yeah. Before we started this, I Googled, like, what is the number one reason? What is the number one cause of cancer? Right? Like, what's the number one cause? We can talk about it. The answer was, there are many factors and causes. There is no number one cause, right? They don't want to say it. They can't. And I thought, is it stress? Can it be stress? I've heard so much about stress yep. and, and how stress can cause so much in our, in our bodies. And, and then I look at these jobs, right? And the correlation of the stress level <laughs> versus the uh, cancer levels, you know? And it's one of those things that's... The guys in our in our line of work put put everything off anyway. That's not dangerous. Whatever. I had cancer on my arm for what a year. Probably. I, 10 I ripped years. it I off know. every time something grew on my arm. I'm like, oh, I ripped that off. I, okay, gone. It'd grow back again. I'm like, rip it off again. It'd grow back. I'm like, hey, look at this thing, Jen. She's like, you need to get that checked out. So six eight months later, I'm like, okay, all right, whatever. It grew back so fast again. I went and had it checked out, and and that you get those words of you have cancer, and I'm like, what? <laughs> me right and then but it's not a bad one you know I, that doesn't go together for me it's cancer but it's not a bad one and I, so he cut it off and it's it's supposed supposed to be good to go and all gone and not you know not one of those ones that should come back but that moment i'm like here we are here we are all that shit all that time i could have had it checked out and, ah. and then you find out people that end up in stage four or you know it's it's too late because and then the story is well, I thought about it, but I didn't think it was that bad, and I didn't get it checked out. How do? We, how can we scare people or get people to go get <laughs> like themselves yourself. checked out? You know, pretend like you're talking to Tom. Yeah, <laughs> try to get me to go get checked out for cancer before I find out I have cancer again. You know, before it's how do we do that? That's the hardest part, and the best thing I I ask some of my guys is, hey, I need you to go on social media and put a public service announcement on there. I need you to scare the hell out of these guys that are your best buddies. And I, I always ask when we have a new guy come in onto our listing, have you talked to the guys on your ODA, your troop, wherever? That's the way we do it. We scare the crap out of them. And they've got to start believing that if they see a warning sign, and we'll talk to those in a minute, if you see a warning sign, you've got to act on it. We, the deputy commander over here, first group's a friend. And he's a former ranger before he came to SF. He had a rash on both his shins and he kept going in and out. They put cream on it. Oh, it's hydrocortisone. You know, we put this on your legs. It'll be better. He's doing this for four and a half years. He retired. He went to get checked out. They said, damn, that's squamish cell so deep that it's affecting your bones now. We can't operate on this. We got to send you to Stanford. You know, we'll hope that we can find the best doctor in the world to do this. You may lose both your legs. Oh. That's from skin cancer. Wow. It had basically Whoa. been allowed to fester over time. He, at that point, uh, Liam, please step out. Hi, Liam. <laughs> Hi. Hi. What did I say? Go sit. <laughs> Grandkids are awesome. That means there's something with a bus, but that's you. <laughs> so, he goes in and, and they say, if you if you don't do this this way for the next six months, you're going to be in a in this position for six months. The grafts that we had to do on your vascular stuff that we had to replace uh, are going to be compromised and you'll lose your legs. We had to take the bone. We had to take the muscles from your, you know, basically your lats to replace all the muscle we cut away. We had to harvest bone off of your hips and put it to replace all the bone in your leg. And hopefully those grafts hold. That's from skin cancer, Tom. And I've got a guy that they grew a new nose on his forehead. You should see that PSA and how many dudes, you know, you get normally 30 or 40 comments. You know, that was into the 800 comments. And yeah. he, those are from skin cancer. We spent tons and tons of days on the ranges. Never thought about it. How much... How much time did you think you shot on a flat range? Yeah, uh, every day. I mean, I was outside every day. It wasn't even when it was raining. And, you know, and I was at um, physical therapy and I was showing the lady that was working on me. And she's like, oh, my dad had the exact same cancer on his thumb. He didn't get it checked out. They had to cut his you know, index finger and thumb off. Yeah. Yep. And it was the exact same stuff I had that the doctor's like, it's no big deal. Just get it taken yeah. off. But he didn't had it. He didn't get it taken off in time. And I thought, oh, I'm glad I glad I listened to my wife, you know, after a little bit, but that he, he, 
I never knew that that could happen. And here's two stories now connected in the same week that I'd heard the same but story. But here's the thing that's that's quite interesting. In, in recent years, it's become more prevalent to understand that this job, um, some of the things that may come along with it are cancer. And, and oh, right. I've heard about it since I've known Tom for 10 years of another friend of mine, another friend of mine um, following you know groups like um, – Hunter Seven Foundation and 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 getting the information. So you know, I told Tom, I'm like, here you you know the stats to some degree that your chances are higher, yet you still won't get it checked out. Like there's it's just, the same it's the same mentality that gets you to go out that gate every night. Yes. I think um, it won't happen to me, right? You put on a helmet and Kevlar, and then the, your buddy gets shot, and you're like, oh, I guess it could happen to anybody, but it didn't happen to me. Still, yeah, it's I don't know what it is, but. What what takes us to go out? And like you said, you have to scare people into it. And that's that's yep. where I started saying nobody cares about this unless they have it or somebody close to them has it because they just don't pay attention to it. It's not real enough for them yet, it seems. Yeah, I kind of want to hear those stats. So what are, what are some of the scary things that we need to hear? Scary things are colorectal cancer in 20-year-olds. You know, you know, there are guys that have eight Mohs surgeries for skin cancers. And at the same time, they're getting the Mohs, you know, they, they're told by their doctor it's just hemorrhoids when they're wiping and they see blood in the toilet paper. And that's, you know, rectal cancer. We don't want to say, mm. we don't want to say that because we're too young. You know, we're too young, we're too robust. And because of our physical conditioning, we don't always present to a doctor as unhealthy. And, you know, if we aren't getting the colonoscopy done at 45, if you're a regular, you know, threat to uh, colon cancer, uh, you could be getting it at 35 if you've got a primary male relative that's had it. If Tom's father had had colon or rectal cancer, they would say, go back to 35 to do that. I was talking to a guy just the other day. He had his father had it, so they told him to go in at 35, and they found a dozen polyps, and they ended up having to take out, you know, basically six foot of his colon. Uh. You know, that's that's those are wake-up calls to a lot of us. And unfortunately, the, the medical folks don't necessarily see it. We had a, a superlative officer out here, Rick English, and you might not recognize the name. He was uh, he served with you. But Rick was in and he served it as an enlisted soldier, uh, Rangers in your place. He came out. He was getting ready to go back after his SF time to try out again as an officer your way. And he was told uh, go to physical therapy over and over and over for Basically, a, an un, unknown pain that rolled up his side to his shoulder. They thought it was a rotator cuff. Well, for almost a year, they gave him physical therapy as the option. Well, that physical therapy was was basically masking prostate cancer to metastasize up from his hip to his ribs to his shoulder. And oh, wow. at the point that they diagnosed, it was too late. Uh, and we hear that story over and over and over again that they're not picking up on the warning signs and they're not doing diagnostic testing. So the hard part is to get guys sensitized that our jobs and the places that we've been have exposed us to toxins. If you thought you got eight good hours of sleep every night on a deployment, you, <laughs> you know, come on, what staff were you on? Uh, <laughs> must've been but, a pilot. <laughs> and when you're winding down, you're not sleeping. It's, infl it's inflammation that's building up in your body. You're not eating right, not sleeping right. SF Command did a study of a rotation into Afghanistan uh, before we pulled out of there, maybe four years ago. And what they were looking at was how cognitive abilities would be degraded by uh, a rotation into the box. So they tested the guys on a number of things before they went. They tested them when they came back. They saw about a 75% de degradation of, of capabilities. We're thinking cognitive. We're talking all guys who's, who's as strong as they were before they deployed, nobody. And they were seeing some real problems. They were seeing blood pressures that were off. They were seeing, you know, all sorts of blood work that was looking really, you know, hard to explain. You know, this guy's got this, this guy's got that. But none of it was positive. So how do we reset guys as they come out of hard deployments? That's a huge question. And when you go back to back to back deployments and you're always on call, that's a you know a double dagger. You're not going to get that recovery time. 
who's manned up to have everybody having a good recovery after they get back? Nobody. Uh, and it only gets harder for the guys that are deploying. And that's the hard part. So I always say regular checkups. Uh, if something does not feel right, if you get unusual pains in your trunk, you see blood in the toilet bowl, you better be beating on your doctor, your surgeon and saying, Hey, I got blood in the toilet bowl and I don't want to hear hemorrhoids. You know, that's, that's the first thing that they'll say, eat more fiber, you know, bull crap. <laughs> I've been doing that's that for years. Get in. So you need to be, you're essentially saying you have to be your advocate. You have to help the doctors understand, yeah. like Tom and I went and saw a doctor here in St. Louis who, um, you know, you're not going to find a ton of people like Tom here. So, you know, we, we see a <laughs> traditional tradition <laughs> for all parties involved. Um, love you, babe. But no, the, uh, the doctor, you know, I go with Tom to all of his appointments. Um, I have my little notebook. I'm kind of the ball breaker between the two of he's ready to get up and say, yep, good. I'm like, no, no, no. Because I'm talking about the doctor this. tells me something like, all right, later, I'm ready to get out of there. And she's like, wait a minute, doc. And you know what he said was uh, he was going through his chart. And I said, well, he's a he's a combat veteran. He served 25 years. He served all over the world in combat zones. And he said, I don't know how that's relevant. Literally said, I don't know how that's relevant. She fired him immediately. So we got up it and was, we it left. It was wonderful. But she goes, well, we'll never see you again. But the relevancy is like you said, you are looking for things that may be abnormal and a typical 40-year-old accountant might look a little bit different than a 40-year-old operator. So you're saying that you have to be your own advocate and say, it's not just hemorrhoids. Like my job and the work I have done has put me in places that this can mean something more. Ab absolutely. Uh, when I was a kid, we used to have medical sort of guys build up uh, country studies. If we were going to deploy to go work with a foreign military, get a briefing on, hey, here are the five things you don't want to do. You do not want to jump in the water in this part of the Philippines. they got these little things that crawl up your, you know. <laughs> and that stuff's going to last no, a long time. <laughs> you know, but you do that over and over again. They can tell you about all the threats. The air quality sucks. Uh, that's not burn pit stuff. That's just, you know, the reality of Pakistan. That's the reality of Bangladesh. You know, we work in Asia, we work in Africa or Europe. You know, every country is different. Every threat is different. Uh, you must be your advocate. You've got to have, you know, smart guys working hard to make sure that you stay as safe as you possibly can. We're not all going in moon suits. It's not feasible. It's not our job like that. Uh, and to be frank, uh, post-operative, the Army and the military said, let's do this big checklist. They'll tell you how you were when you got back. You know, it's your post-deployment post checklist, and you fill this thing out, and you're like, everybody just wants to get the hell out and go have a, go, a nice adult beverage. And they're just checking off as quickly as they can so they can go clean up weapons and go turn in and, you know, move back and see their families. Wives are critical to our fight. Because you prod us to do things that we, we probably wouldn't otherwise want to do. Uh, if you get diagnosed with cancer, uh, our wives, our caregivers, our best friends are absolutely critical to our life expectancy. You know, and I had a one of our docs. He's actually a, a PA. He was enlisted medic, and then he was a PA for 13 years in Okinawa. He was diagnosed at 44 with uh, prostate cancer. No family history. And he, as his wife would say, when we went in to see the doctor after they basically told him he's got prostate cancer, he, he just, he was mumbling. He couldn't speak. He didn't know what to ask. And he just, he was shaking. And, the, you know, this is a, a physician's assistant. What are those questions you need to ask? You must have somebody with you who can write, take notes, who can write and can help sort of start you on the, the pathway to healing most cancers aren't going to kill you right off the bat they might over over the long haul but you got to not let them kill you we have a lot of guys that quit we have a number of guys uh sf guys that committed suicide after basically being diagnosed with cancers uh and that number is higher than you think and you go wow these are combat veterans four five six deployment and you know Cancer scared them to that degree. And you go, okay, so how do I fight? I got to come up with a game plan, strongest game plan you've ever had in your life. And you've got to have eyes wide open. You got to get smart. You got to ditch all your bad habits. 
and you've got to figure out how you and your loved ones are going to get through this uh, because it's a battle. Where do we lose that will to fight? People that come home with bullet holes in their clothes and they made it and they pulled their friends out and they ran out to the street and, you know, under fire. They didn't even think about dying. They didn't care. Cancer and like, fuck it. Let's go. Okay, I'm going to kill myself now. It's like, I'd like to know, I don't know if you know, but we look at the combat deaths in the last 20 years, around 2,653 combat-related deaths in the last 20 years. Yet we have between 30 and 60,000, the numbers of suicides in the same amount of time. I would like to know if you know, and if not, I'm going to find out what those number, and not cancers from the past, like starting out right. 20 years ago. Okay, boom, start there with those guys. Combat for 20 years. How many have died from cancer? And I would, I would love to compare that to how many people died during combat versus the suicide again, because where are we putting our money? We're putting our money billions and billions towards missiles and training and training and training. And the enemy aren't touching us. We're killing ourselves. And the cancers are killing us because we're not taking care of ourselves or our medical system isn't prepared or set up to take care of us, to keep us alive. So really, the enemy is kind of winning in that, in that fashion. The attrition, the attrition from those those sort of elements, Tom, is is amazing. Uh, guys get frustrated with the VA uh, if that's their source of medical support, uh, and they they walk away from the system. Suicides, uh, we've we've lost friends. We we all have lost friends, but you know it's when you're talking to a guy that you remember when he had just finished F- SFAS and gone through that. And we were in a small group for six months together at Fort Benning. And he's like the toughest little guy you've ever met. And he was a fantastic officer, went to 06. And then he called me out of the blue one day. And, you know, I mean, I hadn't heard from him in like three years. And, you know, he's just gotten off active duty. And, you know, like three weeks later, he's dead. He kills himself. And you're just like, what did I miss? How did I miss that? And we all have got friends that we've lost like that. And the VA, the government, they're putting their money and their eggs in the wrong basket. And we're a lot of the guys have lost faith that the system really is going to care for them. And they're not saying to their sons, go in anymore. And, and I think that's showing up on recruiting. And the old days would be two, three generations. You know, Walt Hetzler, Mike Hetzler. Yeah. His, you know, his son, you know, grandsons. I've seen three generations of, uh, in the SF. And guys, you know, and you're like, this is fantastic. We've The faith has been broken because don't take care of you when you get back. There's a broken trust. And that trust factor is, is a huge component. We've always trusted the guy to our left or to our right a whole hell of a lot more than the guy behind us that was given some of those orders. Uh, and unfortunately, cancer... Cancer is a full-on fight, so uh, that's a hard challenge. I, I blame, I fully point my finger at a higher-level leadership of where the dollars go, right? I mean, you, you can't trust an organization that can't take care of you because they don't have the money to. Everybody complains about the VA. I did, too, and it's a huge organization with low funding trying to take care of so many people, and I think it, when you look at it, I hate to say it, that it's so obvious, but when some bean counters looking at, well, 20 years of war, all right, we've got people that are 20 years old now. We have a new generation of people coming in that'll sign up. I think they looked at it like that, you know, but now the fathers aren't telling the sons and daughters, do what I did. I, I literally told mine not to, don't, don't. And if yeah. you do, here's the order you join the service in, you know, Coast Guard. And, and the Air jobs Force, that you do. And, the, and that jobs. You what do you want to do? I want to be a ranger, a sniper. <laughs> yeah. Go, that's a hobby, man. Let them teach you how to do a job that when you get out, college is paid for and you have a job. You know, you don't you don't that have to pick different... up a gun and join the military. You can join the military and do an administrative job. And nobody's going to make fun of you except those who pick up the gun and go shoot because that's what we do. We make fun of each other's jobs. But honestly, it's, it's taking care of yourself. And I don't think the money's there. I don't think they're going to put the money there. Uh, I don't know why. I think it's a replacement thing. Eh. We have to take our own action and our own health care or it won't get done. And you know what you said earlier, I think is so important. You were going to talk about those red flags, those warning signs. I think those are really critical to get out. What should what should people be looking for? Uh, First and foremost, uh, blood. Uh, blood in the toilet bowl is, you know, a sure sign. Blood when you urinate, 
uh, shirt sign. Uh, and those sort of things are warning bells of an extreme nature. If you're seeing that, you know, if when you wipe your, you know, wipe your butt, you know, you should have any red speckles on there. Get that checked out and don't take hemorrhoids as an answer. Then it's extreme weight gain. If you're not eating more, there's some weight gain with tumors. Then it's the trunk pain that I mentioned. So anything from really your hips, hips up into your armpits. If you mm. get trunk pain that's, you know, abnormal, now that's, that's a big piece. Weight loss, a dramatic weight loss unintended. Uh, I've got a college friend, a third college friend. She lost her husband. He was a one star. Uh, he was the deputy commander of the Vermont Army National Guard. Mike Heston's his name. And June has spoken before Congress a number of times on her husband losing 75 pounds and being told repetitively during the process of losing 10 pounds a month that there was nothing wrong, uh, that it wasn't cancer. And then finally, they got they had to go to, from Vermont down to Boston to get tested before they would diagnose pancreatic cancer. Uh, June has spoken alongside John Stewart uh, on behalf of veterans and first responders about cancers. Uh, doctors don't always get it right, but those warning signs, weight loss, weight gain, excessive cough, hoarse, rashy cough over a prolonged period of time. Uh, a lot of the throat cancers and the lung cancers start to really show up when they're getting deeper and deeper into your body at that point. Uh, I've got a daughter who was 10 years in the Army. She was medically retired due to uh, asthma and breathing uh, problems that she developed. And uh, she was one of those that, you know, two full years in Baghdad, uh, uh, six months in Haiti during earthquake relief, two years in South Korea out of 10. So, you know, you can put five years of time in bad air together. Uh, there's no doubt she's to this day, you know, eight years later, still steroid filled. Uh, and it just makes my old five goal of game scoring daughter into somebody that has trouble walking some days when the asthma is bad. Uh, wow. Breathing issues, uh, definitely. But those are the keys for me. Uh, and I think if you identify with any one of those, uh, you can do it. But again, as we tell folks, hey, colonoscopy is on time. For the guys, uh, PSA testing, do that annually. Uh, that will give you at least an eye to where your prostate is and prostate uh, health, uh, what your numbers are, and you can track those. A little bit more scientific is if you get a physical on a periodic basis and you get a CBC, a complete, uh, basically complete blood analysis, you should be looking at your red and white blood cells out uh, because those two are sort of gateways to see cancers as they come. Uh, you'll see them either increasing or decreasing. Uh, and the testosterone sort of piece there, you know, you'll have changes. And those will be indicators that you've got something going on. Uh, I was going to ask the big ones. I was going to ask you, since there are so many different types of cancers in different parts of the body and skin and, in, you know, is there any one test really? Um, At present, there is not. But I'm going to tell you the same thing that Chelsea will give you is the new one that everybody's looking at is the Galleria. It will show you f the results for 50 separate types of cancer. Wow. And it's it's work uh, it's working right now very effectively with 90 plus uh, percentage of success rate on identifying cancers. It has a low false positivity rate, which is good. Uh, and it, Tom, I'd give you the math. It's about 950 bucks. If Veterans Administration spent 17 billion, that's B with a B, billion on the medical records system, uh, automating it so it would work with the DOD medical system. And that system's still not working. And they're saying we're going to throw another five or eight or $10 billion to make that happen. What, how many Galleria tests could they give into veterans and maybe save really? uh, how many lives? That just should be part of the normal testing since cancer sort of comes <laughs> along with the territory. They're, they're, if they like, find it, they have to take care of it. My and, gosh, and, and then they're responsible for it. And then there's all kinds of more money they have to pay you. So. But you're talking about <laughs> also if you're a bean counter, you catch it early. You catch it in stage one. It's a much different thing uh, to my understanding than catching it in stage three or four. Correct? So Absolutely, Jen. You're, just, you're talking – 
talking millions of dollars to get right. someone stage four. Millions. That nine that nine hundred and fifty dollars is right. you know a, it's like a day in the laboratory. They don't understand it, do they? They don't it, understand it. Just it just seems very I was, basic to me. I would say the same thing to the veterans we see all the time too, who say I can't afford uh, you know, a treatment of $150 or something. And we know these people, right? We know what they're doing. And these are friends of mine. I tell them, stop drinking. Stop. Don't buy that bottle of whiskey that night. Save that. Don't buy that case or two of beer that week. And I'll tell you what, in short order, you'll have $950 to pay for it for yourself <laughs> if you had to, just to live longer and be with your family. You know, then you could save more money and buy more booze. Is this but, a test that you would recommend people who might be right now thinking, maybe like Tom, Okay, I did 25 years. I have years. all that trunk I've got pain. all of I, that I, I, stuff. I attribute it to the hemorrhoids. I attribute it to the 10 back surgeries. I, you know, and I had some weird neck stuff. I'm like, okay. I started doing an EKG on myself last night. I had one of those cardio cards in my wallet. And I literally, last night, because she's always stressed out, I'm like, got both my fingers on this EKG thing. <laughs> looking at my phone. I said, normal sinus rhythm. I'm like, okay, cool. Is it on the right or left? She's like, it's Googling. It could be both. I'm like. I've never been the kind of guy to worry about heart attacks or strokes. WebMD is awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. I diagnose him every day. He's dying every day. So it's. It's one of those things it. that, um, <laughs> you know, at your age, and I'm not saying you're an old senior citizen like me, that 950, talk to Chelsea. You know, do it yourself. I mean, yeah. write that, write that, poke it out. You know, I think the more we advocate these sort of things, these you know positive steps. Hey, I didn't buy that gun at the gun show this weekend. I bought a Galleria, <laughs> yes, and it's yes. going to identify that I can do another twenty years down the road. God bless. You know, yes. that's a public service announcement you could make to a hundred guys, and they might go, "All right, damn it, I got it." Or sell one of your yes. multiple weapons that you have to have. And the guys, like, how many weapons do you have? I go, I can only shoot one at a time, so I have two, so my wife can help me. But other than that, I've gotten rid of all the weapon hobby thing. I don't collect them. Oh my gosh! And, and if you do it. sell one, go get a test if you think you're sick, and and then live longer to shoot all the rest of the weapons you own. Plus nine hundred and fifty, like you said. I mean, what is your life worth? I mean, nope. and peace of mind, frankly, because I know that this is something that comes up quite often in the special operations community is cancer, rare cancers. You know, just I heard. I think there was a study last week with Air Force, um, the the chemicals that they used to clean the aircraft. And so they're finding a high number of cancers in flight crew. So, I mean, this isn't something that's new information yet. It's often treated that way. You're saying, listen, follow those early warning signs. Take care of them. This is not something to brush off. This is something if you catch it early, you can deal with it early. Absolutely. Your your five-year life expectancy, if you get diagnosed at stage three or stage four, is about a you know, a quarter, and it varies from every cancer, you know, with sure. so many forms of cancer. You know, there's a lot of cancers. Uh, I lost my mom to uh, kidney cancer, and she was given, you get best best option, you got a year. She lasted nine months, and she was 35 pounds when she died. Oh, and, you God. know, you want to talk about, you know, cancers that will rip your heart out. Uh, my dad was a prostate cancer guy, diagnosed at 56, you know, both of them happened to grow up in towns where pollutants were in defense plant upstream two miles from where my dad's, you know, farm area was. And the well water was what you drank. My mom lived outside, just outside the gates of the Boston Navy shipyard. And uh, lead was being uh, basically put in the air along with asbestos because at that point they were breaking ships after all the post-World War ships. Wow. So. You know, understand the dynamic, understand those pieces. And if we get our guys mobilized, and I'm not just saying guys, it's got to be gals too, because those warning signs are there. Mammography doesn't seem as invasive as a colonoscopy. I can't tell you how many dudes I've heard, wow, that thing, you know, you got to drink a gallon of that junk, and then you get, you're going to stick that thing up your butt. And, you know, what what's that doing for you? If you get a colonoscopy, it gives you 10 years of clearance when, when they find you got nothing in there. 10 years. Yep. I've had a couple. 
I've had yep. 20, 20 straight years of, of, of. But you weren't cleared for a ten year. That you have to come back yeah, every. Yeah, I got to go three. back every now and then. I had, you know, I had yeah. a couple things, but yeah, yep. it's one of those you get to walk up and down the hall and say funny stuff because you're on drugs and everybody laughs and it's over with. And uh, right, the yeah. last one I had was fun. But... Oh yeah, you. He was telling the nurses all kinds of things. I heard him all the way down the hallway. I'm like, here comes Tom. And it's over, <laughs> and you have your message. You know, so the fear of a colonoscopy. You know, you're not getting anywhere near with me with that camera. You know. I've had a couple of them. I'm Let's... alive, and they found some things, and, and I'll live longer because of it, yep. and here I still am. You had mentioned earlier one preventative measure, measure, which is if you're dealing with lead, which we know that these guys and gals are, is to remove that before you come home, some preventative measures. Are there anything else that people should be thinking about? Well, I, yeah, I, I think those, that's kind of one of the bigger ones that you come yeah. off the range, and you, can, you sort of have that understanding. Uh, the preventative measures, you know, we get back to some of the basics of uh, eat better. You know, we've got a lot of guys that lifestyle lifestyle choices are not the greatest. Uh, eat eat better, you know, better nutritious foods, uh, and then start, you know, start tailoring down on sugary drinks. You know, the sugary drink thing keeps coming up more and more frequently amongst uh, sort of the experts and those that are studying cancer. Okay, well, I got to have six sugary drinks to get to work. Uh, heck, drop drop it down to three. You might you might see work a few more days. Man, uh, that's interesting. It's funny I how we are already armed with information about hmm, your body. You know, uh, what gas do I put into my car? What wax do I wax my car with? <laughs> I need to vacuum out underneath my floor mats and make sure it runs good because it's a nice car. But I'm gonna shove Twinkies and gas station hot dogs in my mouth on the way, and then wonder why I feel bad and why my body's not. You know. Same from all the veterans, yeah. all the act, all, per, people that get out and they stop living that active lifestyle every day because well, they don't have to and they move away from it. They eat differently and then they go to not eating like me. I probably eat once a day maybe if I think about it and then wonder why we don't have the energy we used to have. We don't have the drive, the, the thought process. Everything drops and we're like, I miss it. Well, you're doing nothing like you used to do to feel the way you felt back then. And you're not healthy, so all these other things, these evil things that have been absorbed into your skin and into your body and held throughout those years now have an open door to start attacking your cells because your cells are now weaker. Yep. So staying healthy, put what you put in your mouth is the number one thing, right? Yeah, I, I, we've had experts on from every arena, from sleep to how you eat. Um, stress is a big indicator. Is a, it could cause a lot of issues, oh, yeah. inflammation, disease. So. None of it's hard. Like you have to stop everything and change all this. It's just ease up, man. Just ease <laughs> up. You know, the fifth right. of Jack, how about a glass? You know, the, the bottle of wine, how about a glass? You know, the pack of Twinkies, how about a half a Twinkie or just throw those away. They last forever. But moderation, slow down, you know, do it intelligently if and, you do things intelligently then the, the, the outcome is typically okay and get checked and often get checked and and don't be stubborn right. about that because that's not something to play with it's just like you had said that you know these tough 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 toughest really i think of american citizens are these war fighters and um the message is never to give up you never you are so strong you've been through everything that can be thrown yeah. at you in this world and cancer is just another fight it's not a reason to end your life early we've heard that too um in fact i've i've actually heard from several operators if i get it or if i know i'm going to have cancer i'm just gonna grab a gun grab my truck and, and go out to a field it's quite a common um unfortunate response yeah. i don't want to put that on my family <laughs> um, I don't want to be a burden to others is, is more of what I hear of, even rather than I love I my don't... government more than I love my wife because I went off to fight somebody I don't know. But yet I won't fight this cancer in my body. Yes, that's it's like think good... about that thought process and see how hard it is to say it after you think about it that way. You're saying don't give up. You get this diagnosis. There's things you can do. Um, it's not. Absolutely. It's, it's not the reason to call we... it quits. When when we saw the burdensome numbers coming down, we, we said, hey, we've got to we've got to build a place where you can become a, a safe sort of haven. We put a Facebook page together. It started as a tenth group cancer page, and then what we grew it, it it's a soft cancer fighters page. And you know, at some point, you got to say to these folks, there's lots of guys just like you. Don't worry about the effects of prostate cancer or a robot prostate ectomy. 
you may lose sex function for a while. You may lose this for a while. You know, to get through this, life is so so darn precious. Every we fought for all these things. Why would you give up on those things now at the time when you're in a bit of a fight? And oh, by the way, we're here for you. You know, there's there's a sixty guys that will jump on a freaking plane and drive to your location to take you to your first appointment if that's what you help, need help with. And you know, we've done it. I've been in Madigan. I've held guys hands. I've had a SAR major that I knew when I was a pup, a Vietnam veteran, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, Bosnia guy. And he's yellow and green from the jaundice. And he had days to live. And holding his hand, a guy who I loved and respected with all my heart, you know, and seeing him and seeing his wife and his family with him. And there were five guys coming in behind me with the same message. We love you. We here we are always here for you. And when you're gone, we're here for your wife, your kids, your grandkids. We want to be that community behind you. And we we owe that. That that's the brotherhood that we've engendered. And it goes into our family tree too. Because along a lot of places when the guy goes, then we forget about the wife. And we can't. We've got to be yeah. absolutely the champions of families. So it, it's a hard thing. And you know, we've all lost people near and dear to us in many circumstances and pulling up and showing support is the least we can do for those guys we serve with and their and our family. So, yeah, yeah. uphold how, that motto we've always screamed. You? I was just going to say, if I if somebody's listening today, they have a recent diagnosis or maybe not so recent and they're like, hey, I don't know about this this group of support. How can anyone join yeah. in the soft community? And if so, how do they find you? Absolutely. Soft Cancer Fighters page on Facebook. Okay. And if they just send it and they send a bounty or cancer, I serve. Uh, and I can be a caregiver. I can be that wife that's still got a reluctant husband. I want them involved as well. And we post all sorts of stuff. Jeff Darty is on there. We cross-pollinate awesome. with his page. We have a lot of folks who will talk to people. And uh, it's the critical stuff just to get a guy started. But you have guys that will hesitate once diagnosed. Hesitation is loss of time. And time is not something you have when you've got cancer. You got to fight it, you got to beat it, and then you got to watch it after you've beaten it. Uh, there's, I will have a drink, I'll have an adult beverage every time one of our guys posts, I hit five years today, I'm cancer free. My doctor finally said it. Those are important words. We don't hear them often enough. Uh, we go to we go to lots of folks uh, that lose those battles, but along the way, we know that we're helping them uh, overcome something, which is a bear. You know, it's an unseen enemy that's inside of us, and uh, that's a pretty hard one to overcome at times. There's, there's a shadow. It's a shadow enemy. Uh, it is anytime, and if. Go ahead, Dom. No, no, it is. But there's a family out here, like you've said. There's always family out here, and there's no reason to hide from them, turn away, shame, cover your eyes, or act like you shouldn't be the one to reach out. Uh, there's always people that help the most people, right? Run out in the street to save somebody, put their life on the line. But when it's them, they're like, oh, I'm okay. Go help someone else. You know what? Shut up. Accept the love. Let us come hug you and take care of you. That's what I want everybody to know. Let it go. Go get help. Take care of yourself. You know, the word help means so much to some people, but it's not a bad word, right? Go get help from somebody that does a job that you didn't do, your enablers, your supporters, the people that helped you win the war along the way. You didn't do it yourself. So let's go to those people. Get that help. Get checked out, right? PMCS. They taught it forever. Keep it running right. It's cheaper and it's better <laughs> that way than letting it break. The Army taught us that, right? The big muscle cartoons, <laughs> PMCS, with the big wrench in his hand. Take care of it. Take care of yourself. Yep. Take care of yourself. So you can continue taking care of your brothers, right? Let's put it in that perspective versus, well, I'm going to always take care of my brothers. Well, what if you're not here? Then who takes care of the brothers? So take care of yourself so you can take care of your brothers and do that and go find what you need to get better. I love that. This has been such a critical conversation. I think that we need to have a few more of these with you. Um, but I think this is a good start to, to help people understand 
that if you're experiencing pain, discomfort, some of those warning signs that you need to go not next week, not in a month, but tomorrow. Um, you're worth the investment. You're worth the time. Your family loves you and needs you as well. Um, they're your forever battle buddy. So make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Um, paying attention to those warning signs, doing things that could be preventative, like we talked about, better sleep, better nutrition, better choices. And also, you know, for the spouses out listening, you're welcome to that page as well. So um, maybe you have a reluctant partner. Um, There's still support for you. So thank you so much for your time today, Dennis. It was truly an honor to get to spend some time with you. And I look forward to our future conversations. God bless you both for everything you do. You're helping people in, in a lot of different avenues. We need help. We need more people that make people feel better and move towards the same objective. So uh, God bless you both. Thank you. Well, thank you, you Dennis. And thanks for being on here today. We really appreciate it. And this is a hot topic. So hopefully yes. people listen up and get the help they need. We appreciate your time today. Remember to not keep all this goodness to yourself. Share it out. It's your duty to your brothers, your friends, and your family members. If you're a special operations warrior or a special operations warrior family member, please visit us at allsecurefoundation.org for support. And if you're interested in donating, that's a great place to find us as well. We really appreciate you. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time.